I think one thing we all share here that we could probably relate to is this, is that your greatest regret began with a series of unwise decisions. In the very beginning, the first decision wasn't necessarily wrong. It certainly wasn't illegal. It just wasn't wise. But the one bad decision built on another bad decision, and all of a sudden there's momentum. And at the end of the day, you're left with regret. The goal and desire in this series has been to help you ask better questions, knowing this, that better questions lead to better decisions, and better decisions lead to fewer regrets. And so, so glad you've joined us today as we close out our series with our sixth and final question. Now, this final question is probably a question, since you're at church, you may expect to hear. The challenge is it's a question that expects the most out of you and I in response to it. It's an easy question at times to dismiss and just put aside because really if we grapple with today's question, it causes us to, to deal and really the, the, to deal with this issue of, of heart transformation, a, a change in your life. It calls something greater out of you as we go. And so this question can be a terrifying question really because it's a clarifying question in our life as we go. Our last question, it, it's... I've entitled it, it's a relationship question. Because as all of us envision our, our preferred future, none of us envision that future being alone, right? We, we have a, a vision for our future either being with a special friend or a soulmate or somebody in our life during these moments. If you have somebody next to you, this question will help you keep that person next to you. If you're looking for that right person, if you will practice this question in your life on a daily basis, it will help you be the person that the person you're looking for is looking for in your life. And the benefit of the question we're going to ask today is that it not only impacts our life and those closest to us, but it has the ability to impact every relationship that we have. It may not impact the world, but it could, but it certainly will impact your world and the things that you face. It's a powerful question. It has the ability to restore relationships. It has the ability to rekindle romance and to pave the way for the gospel. Pretty amazing question. You ready for the question as we go? Before I give you the question, let me give you a quick disclaimer. Uh, out of all the questions that we've asked during this series, this one does not have a guaranteed ROI on it. The reality is you may not experience, even if you answer this question correctly, you may not experience a tangible, measurable, or noticeable return on the investment of the effort of the question. The reason for that is all the other questions that we've asked during this series have been about making my life better, but this final question deals with making somebody else's life better. In fact, the power of this question, it has the ability to position ourselves to literally make the world better. So Jesus gives us this final question, and what I love about as he teaches the teaching we'll look at today, he gives us this question not only in his words, but in his deeds and the actions of his life. The question that he's going to ask was not the question that his followers, and certainly not the question that the world was looking for or necessarily wanting. 
The, the world, when Jesus came and, and presented himself as the Messiah, think about what the crowds were wanting. The question they wanted answered was simply this. How will you overthrow this evil and unjust government? And how are you going to set up your kingdom here on earth? That's what they wanted to know. Jesus, what will political reform look like under your leadership as you lead us, right? What will happen when you're in power? I mean, that's what they're expecting. So on that holy week when Jesus enters into the city, the crowds are abuzz. They're abuzz with anticipation. The challenge is they're waiting for an answer to a question that Jesus wasn't asking at the time. The expectation from the crowd was that Jesus was going to give them something political, right? Something messianic, something regal. They were expecting something very different. But when Jesus comes and asks the question, the change that he's bringing is bigger than any political movement. It's bigger and it lasts longer than any king or any kingdom. The question that we're going to see today is transformational because it undoes, it undoes the old and it introduces the new and in fact, over 2,000 years later, we're blessed in living in the blessing of this very answer to the question. So what is it? Question number six in our series is simply this. What does love require of me? What does love require of me? Jesus is going to answer it in the last few hours of his life. It's a fascinating section of scripture where he dismisses Judas and now he is about to experience this intimate Passover dinner for the last time with his disciples. And in that intimate moment, Jesus reframes what faith is all about. He reframes what they think about what it means to be a follower of him. And that's where we're going to go this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn me to the book of John, chapter 13. If you've got your phones, again, go to lexcity.info. If you're new with us this morning, so glad you've joined us. All the sermon notes and everything you can find there at lexcity.info. John, chapter 13. We're going to look at a couple verses today, but powerful. Starting in verse 33, this is what Jesus is teaching. You have the perspective, right? Upper room, intimate setting, Jesus with his disciples, and he says this, dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you cannot come where I'm going. Verse 34. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Again, the context of the disciples that are listening to this, I, they're not sure what that means. I, I think there's probably part of them that just says, really, a new commandment? <laughs> Lord, there's over 600 of them in the law, and now you're going to add one more to us. Uh, why do we need one more? But Jesus is going to say, no, this is a new commandment because, listen, I, I'm not adding to the old. I'm telling you something brand new. I, I, I'm not adding more to the law. I, I'm going to give you something that replaces that old system. Jesus is going to say, and the disciples don't fully understand it at this moment, but he's saying, I, I've come to fulfill the law. To take all that the law requires, it's going to be found in me. And because of that, I'm going to ask you to respond in a different way. I'm going to tell you what, because I have taken on what the law does, there's something that it requires of you, and that's what I want to tell you. It's a new commandment. Now, don't miss this. It's not a suggestion. It's not a good thought. It's not something that says the church, I'd like you just to consider this. He says, no, this is a commandment of what it means. If you are a follower of Jesus... This is a commandment. Failure, don't miss it, failure to fulfill this commandment either gives evidence of a false faith or a disobedient believer. It's that strong. 
I'd love to water it down for you, but it isn't. Jesus says this is what it is all about in this moment. The answer to question number six is core to our faith. Apostle Paul understood this, preaches a little bit in the book of Galatians chapter five, verse six. Look what Paul says. He says, for when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. That was the law. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. Paul says, listen, faith is only important if it expresses itself in love. And really what he's saying, faith is no longer found in the law by doing it's found in love and being who it is. And Jesus teaches the same thing. Continue on in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, here it is, that you love one another. Jesus, as he's teaching disciples, wasn't, again, wasn't telling them to feel something. He's telling them to do something. There's action to this faith that gives evidence. It's a higher bar. Think about earlier, it's a higher bar than the golden rule, right? Golden rule, do unto others as you want them to do unto you, Right? The challenge is in the golden rule that we are the standard setter. I'm going to do to you what I want done to myself. Jesus says, huh, I'm going to give you something new. I'm now the bar. It's not you. I'm the standard bearer for what that means. I'm going to set the bar. Here's the bar that he sets, the last part of verse 34. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, when we read that, because we're, if you're familiar with scripture, you know our mind goes to when Jesus dies on the cross, the ultimate example of, of love. But remember in the context when he's teaching this to his disciples, they're, they're, they don't know what's gonna happen in the next few hours. When Jesus says this idea of I'm the example of, of love, they're thinking about all the experiences they've had with Jesus in the last three years. That's the only context that they have. And the moment Jesus says that each man, I'm sure their mind rolls back, to a moment in a time when Jesus expressed to them unconditional love like they had never experienced before. For many of them, that probably went back to their calling when Jesus calls them. Matthew, remember that moment? Matthew, you were a tax collector. Everybody hated you and rejected you. And I gave you grace. And Matthew, I, I accepted you just where you are. Simon, <laughs> Simon, you were a zealot. I came and gave you purpose and true meaning in your life. And Andrew and Peter and James and John, do you remember that moment? You were fishermen throwing nets out and I saw something in you that was greater than just that moment. Do you remember that love? Man, do you remember the love that has patience? Remember just a little bit ago we were arguing about who was the goat? Remember that day? Not a great day, gentlemen, but I loved you, and I gave you grace, and I worked you through. Peter, you were drowning, and I extended my hand. It was in those moments. It didn't take long for each man to recall how Jesus had loved them through their faith journey at different points. So now he says to them, listen, I, I need you to love like that. It's different. I'm not asking you to fulfill laws and do do's and don'ts. I need you to love. I need you to love with some peace and some patience and some understanding. I need you to give forgiveness to other people just like you've received it from me. It changes the story totally. And when they thought about that, that, that idea, like this is what it's gonna call of me, I, I'm imagining Jesus saying, <laughs> you think you got it, but you don't. In just a few hours, I'm gonna blow your mind. 
what true love is all about. In just a few moments, in a few hours, I'm going to demonstrate the greatest act of love in human history. And it's going to take your breath away. In a few hours, you're going to experience something that you never have in a depth of what selflessness looks like. And this demonstration of love is going to change and turn the world upside down. Jesus says, what I'm going to do in a few hours is going to transform the lives in eternity for men and women and boys and girls for the rest of time. You're going to sing songs about it. It's going to be the central part of your prayers that you pray towards me and one another. He says, this is why what I'm going to talk about, this new commandment, this idea of love is central to the faith because everything else flows out of it. And so Jesus confirms that. Go to verse 35. He confirms it by saying, by this. And I stop there in honor of all of our new home educators uh, who haven't had to pick up an English grammar book in 15 years, and now your kids are asking questions that you have no idea about. You're right, go to YouTube, figure it out. Uh, but those of you now that are back into English for the new time, you know this word, this, is a demonstrative pronoun, right? Which really means that it gives emphasis to something. And those of you that are next level teachers now in your homes, you understand that it's a singular demonstrative pronoun, which says it's giving emphasis to one thing. Jesus is saying this, this, or this one thing is the key. What is it that this one thing is? The one thing all people will know that you are my disciples, one thing, if you have love one for another. This new commandment, this idea of love, here's what he's saying, is now the new standard that all things are measured by. It's the new bar, Jesus says. You had it here with the law, and now it's up here, and now the key thing is not simply knowing something or feeling something, it's about doing something. And what makes this new law so powerful, see, grasp this with me, is that it's tethered to the person of Jesus and not the fear and the obligation of the law. Jesus says, why this is so new is because I'm gonna connect it to me. Not in the do's and the don'ts and what you must do, but I'm gonna connect it to me in such a powerful way and to my example. Again, we have the joy of knowing the story. The example that Jesus is gonna tether this to is what Jesus will experience in the next few hours. The anticipation of his disciples is that they would find Jesus sitting on a Jewish throne and yet they, in a few moments, will find Jesus hanging on a Roman cross. And that moment, right, that image, that selfless act of love is so ingrained in their hearts and their souls that it changes the lives of these men forever. In fact, many of them give their lives and some die on a cross themselves to share this love with the world that Jesus had told them about. And so from that moment on, right, the, the, uh, the demonstration of our faith, how legit and how real our love for God is, is now putting the person who is next to us in front of us. Don't miss that. It's the ability to take the person who is now next to us and move them to a position in front of us. The focus from this moment changes from not being simply a vertical relationship to now a horizontal relationship with those around. And Jesus says this powerful thing, the authenticity of one's faith is based on these horizontal relationships 
that they're developing and inputting in. And those horizontal relationships, Bible's really clear, begin with the family of God. It works out from circles, but it begins with the family of God. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Therefore, whenever you have opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. I find it so interesting as I was reading this passage that Jesus waits to share this truth with the disciples in the upper room until Judas has left. Once Judas left, now he gives a teaching. Why is he giving? Because it's a teaching for the family, for the inner circle. And Jesus understands at this moment that their love for one another is going to be extremely critical. James, you're... Your ability to love John in the next few days is gonna be greater than you think. Peter, I need you to temper it a little bit. I need you to have some grace towards Matthew because in the next few days, listen, in critical times, right, when, when struggle and evil is great, when hope is lost, when persecution increases, when standing for the truth separates you from the things of this world, your love and your love for one another are the key that's gonna sustain you. Man, your love for one another is gonna be the encouragement that you're gonna need when you feel all alone in the next few days. Your love for one another is gonna be the accountability. It's gonna be the strength at times when you feel extremely weak and you wanna give up. And again, we know the story, right? We know why in the next few hours as the disciples scatter, (laughs) and it would easily become the blame game, and you didn't, and you didn't, and why did you do that? Listen, your love is what's gonna unite you. Your love's gonna bring you back and keep you strong. In light of that truth, I I wanted to take just a few moments today and and think about that truth in terms of of our family of faith, right? The big C church and the expression of that locally in what we call Lex City that's here. Some similarities. We we live in a very post-Christian culture at this point, right? Our values, our presuppositions, our absolute truths, our faith is being marginalized, right? It's being eliminated and it's being canceled in so many different ways. And it's in these moments that our love for one another, the support that comes from our relationship is what gives us strength and encouragement and courage in these difficult times. So asking the question that we ask in number six is so key. What does love require of me As a member and a family member of the family of God, it eliminates some questions that I hear quite often. It eliminates questions like this. Well, I love God, but I just don't like church, right? I love what God can do for me, but the people, the people, the hypocrisy, the inconsistency, the ways that they've hurt me. Listen, Jesus knew that would be our natural tendencies, and so what does he say? I got a command for you. I want you to love. I want you to love one another the way I have loved you. I want you to love the things that I love. So as a follower of Jesus, listen, we don't have the luxury to make a distinction between the bride of Christ and the people of Christ. He says we've gotta have love one for another in those. And that's easy to say, but has it not been true? This has been a hard season for the big C church, right? 
I have the opportunity to talk again to pastors all around the country, and they would say the same challenge. We've had more opportunities, I think, for division and falling apart during this last season than I've ever experienced in in my lifetime. I mean, think about all the fun things we've had to work through together in this last year, right? Should your church be open? Should your church be closed? Uh, Where's the line between submission to authority and uh, my religious freedoms, right? How do I engage in these issues of racial tension? What emotions are godly and righteous and call for repentance? What emotions are manipulations and lie from the very pit, right? Does God like donkeys or does he like elephants? And uh, can you really be a Christian and belong to that party and make those kind of votes? I mean, these kind of questions. I don't even want to start with mask or no mask or vaccines or no vaccines, all these kind of things. Here's the point. This year, you've had plenty of opportunity to be disappointed, discouraged, and hurt by the family, because they don't necessarily share your perspective on something or they maybe aren't as passionate about an issue as you think they should be. And the challenge is when these kind of divisions happen, if we're not careful, that's why Jesus reminds us, we'll treat each other the way the world treats us when we disagree. The world who accuses, right? It assigns motives, it casts shame, and now we cancel whenever that is. Apostle Paul says, can I remind you? I love the Bible. Paul says, let me tell you a little bit with the danger of a cancel culture. Go back to Galatians chapter five, verse 14. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. The historian William Durant said it simply this way, a great civilization is not conquered from out from without until it has first destroyed itself from within. That's what Paul's warning us about. The great part is a follower of Jesus. We have a hope and we have an antidote towards that cancel culture that's here and it's found in what Jesus is teaching today. He says a new command. What's the answer? The answer is love. So it begins with you and it begins with me and it begins with how we treat each other and how we treat the family. And as I thought about you all at Lex City, I'm so grateful. I I think it's a strength of our church, and I think it's been a characteristic of our church, of your love for one another. But can I remind you that it will never thrive and it will never maintain unless it's nurtured. And in challenging times, it's even more important that we nurture that with one another. And so can I just give you three things as your pastor, three suggestions on ways that you can continue to nurture that kind of love. Here they are. First, first three. Number one is simply this, that you can do individually. Number one is take initiative. It's easy always to sit back and wait and hope somebody else will initiate and come and engage or talk or reach out to you or make that phone call. If you're here in person today, right, nobody likes to sit alone and nobody likes to feel like they come in and come out and nobody notices them and acknowledges them. And so, listen, here's what love requires for us. This isn't what the Bible says here. If you just show up five minutes earlier, you would have time to do these things. It's hard to do this when we're rushing in. That's a little side note. But if, if you do that, listen, you know how it feels. We've all been there to not feel acknowledged and recognized and even seen. Show up five minutes early. Find somebody who may feel like you have felt in the past and just love them and welcome them in a genuine sentence. Take initiative. Many of you, most are folks, there'll be 1,500 of you watching online this week. We got a little chat bar. Check in. Let us know you're there. Acknowledge, just be known that way. Avoid the natural tendency. This is my fear for you. If you're not careful, you're gonna slide into the mode of just being a spectator. Observing, got my hour. 
checked it off and roll on. Listen, especially if you're watching at home, you know folks that you haven't seen in a while, just call. Shoot them a note. Let them know you're thinking of them, you miss them, but just be initiative on those things. Number two, a thing that you can do is, is just assume the best, right? When we're not relationally connected, and even those of us that are here, it's just harder to be relationally connected as we once were. In those moments, there's always gaps in a relationship that come. And it's easy to fill those gaps with suspicion. We can judge others' motives. We begin to write the narrative on why or why, how we feel and these kind of things. But love requires, here's what it requires, that we give each other grace, that we keep short accounts. So when you feel your heart moving, can I just encourage you? Pick up the phone. Don't assume the worst. Connect with those relationships. The gaps are natural, but love requires that we fill those gaps with love. Number three. It's just to pray for one another. Pray for one another. In your time of prayer, and I think of our Lex City family, when God brings to your mind faces and families and friends that you just haven't seen, just pray for them. Five things that you can pray for them. I just put them down here. You can pray for your kids, relatives, or just people within the family. Pray for them that they'd have open hearts to the things of God, wisdom to face the day, boldness to share their faith, that they'd find good friends in the faith, and protection from the enemies of their soul. God, as I think about them, I just pray for those things over them, the connection that they're. The impact, I, I love this, is, is this kind of love is not only felt in the context of the family, but Jesus says here, if we can do this together, the impact is literally felt uh, around the world. Final verse, John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is how the world's gonna know. It's, it's the Acts 2 kind of moment, right? The launch of this church. And Acts 2, if you go back and read it again, it was a church that launched, and it, what was it built on? It was built on love for one another. It was built on sharing their resources and coming around the common vision and the ministry and the, and the impact of that. It was sharing everything that they had and sharing the gospel with those around. In the world, here's what I just remind you. This is what Acts 2 reminds us, and even in John, is that the world is sitting and they're looking and they're watching. And the questions that the world is not asking, the world is not evaluating on our position on predestination or how we feel about eschatology or I'm curious a little bit about how you're dealing with the spiritual gifts and how that rolls into the life of the believer on everyday things. They're extremely important. But here's what the world wants to know. Do you love me? And the way I'm gonna know if you love me is I'm gonna watch to see, do you love each other? John says, if we'll love each other, the world watches that and says, I believe you could love me too. The apostle Paul knew this to be true. And so this new startup of this little church in the city of Corinth was just beginning. And Paul says, I, I wanna get you off on the right step. If you wanna have impact in this little community, there's gonna be something that's really important. And so he writes his very first letter to them. And as we close, I, I wanna read you that letter. And my fear is this, the moment I start, many of you will be so familiar with it, you'll dismiss it as, oh, I, I know that, I move on. Can I just encourage you maybe to hear it new and afresh for the very first time? Paul's gonna answer for us the question of what does love require of me? And so let me read it in a little different translation in the message that may present it a different way. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse three, it just says this. 
If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I do not love, I've gotten nowhere. So now, no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. For love never gives up. Love cares for more for others than for self. Love takes the person beside you and moves them in front of you. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others. It's, it's not always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of sins of others. Doesn't revel when others grovel. Love doesn't take pleasure in a flowery truth, but puts up with everything. Love trusts God always. Always looks for the best Never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Paul says, that's what love requires of me, and that's what love requires of you. So the question is, I know the question now, how do I act upon the question that I've just heard? It's not about knowing. And Jesus says, not even about feeling. It's about doing. What are you going to do with it? So here's some questions as we close our time. Maybe today... There's somebody who, especially if you're watching online, who's in the other room today that you need to ask forgiveness for. That's what love requires of you. Today, maybe you need to just, when you get home or wherever you are, you need to pick up the phone or write a text or just give a word of encouragement, speak some hope into somebody. That's what love would require. Maybe you're a brother or sister, and you need to just stop annoying your brother and sister on purpose because it's fun, and you know the buttons you can push because you've been together a really long time. Love requires that we think differently. Maybe there's a post that you need to remove from your account. Maybe there's a coworker who tomorrow morning just needs a fresh start. You got lots of history. I, I just need a fresh start. Maybe there's a neighbor who needs the gift of friendship. Maybe there's an ex that you just got to figure out how you can make peace with during this time. Maybe there's a stranger that you'll see at the grocery store today who just needs a helping hand. What is it that love requires of you? This morning we're going to close out our time in just a moment. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing a couple songs, but especially during this first song, I just want to give you opportunity to whatever the Lord speaks onto your heart to do because it's not about knowing, it's feeling. This is a doing kind of a thing, and the clarity of that is terrifying at times, but it calls something of that. So maybe even today there's something that you feel led. I want you to just encourage you to take some moments with the Lord, maybe right where you're sitting. Altars will be open as they are every morning if you want to come down and just spend some time with the Lord, or our prayer team will be right over there. But the question is, what does love require of you? Father, thank you this morning for the challenge of your word. <laughs> Lord, as you shared these truths, a new commandment, a thing that's tethered to your very presence and your very character and your very actions, which raises the bar dramatically. God, we have the, the benefit of seeing the full story. We, we know that in the next few hours after this teaching, God, you will give the ultimate example of love.
But even knowing that, it is hard for us to die to self. Lord, it's hard to take the person who's next to us and put them in front of us and think less of ourselves and more of them. But Lord, today, if nothing else, may we be reminded that that is the essence of our faith. We can mask it in so many different other ways, but the essence of the faith is, do we love as we've been loved? So Lord, in these moments, as we sing and as we respond, may we do so with a heart of gratitude. In your name we pray, amen. Why don't you stand with me this morning? If you feel like you wanna move and do that, feel free to do that, and let's just take these moments together.